following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Awesome. Well, we continue in our, our book of Ruth in our redemption series. This has been a great, great start to a series a couple weeks ago and really excited to pick up again in, in chapter two. Now, what we saw in chapter one, just as a real quick um, uh, recap on that, how the circumstances of our lives really become the arena for God's redemptive work. Like God works in the midst of our circumstances. He does not seek just to take us out of circumstances, but work through us. And, and all of this is meant so that we would draw closer to him and, and know him more. So we saw this small family. We saw Naomi and Ruth and their family devastated. Their journey from Bethlehem to Moab in the midst of a, a horrible famine. Uh, Naomi loses her husband. She loses her sons. She's in a foreign land without a future and things are looking really bad. But at the end of chapter 1, we are given clues, really strong foreshadowing that things are going to get better, that there is joy on the horizon. And as chapter 1 ends, Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And this is triggering for us a a foreshadow of a spiritual harvest that the, the narrator is wanting us to know that things are about to get better. Things are about to become joyful, and they are going to experience joy for the first time in possibly 10 years. They're going to see um, excitement. They're going, about to see God's work of faithfulness come to fruition in ways that they could never imagine. They're about to be blessed, and, and looking at all that they've gone through, I can't imagine but think that they have not felt this in a very, very long time. And it's reminding us that our daily lives are not insignificant, that God works in the midst of our daily lives. He works in the midst of our struggles and our circumstances. And these real human lives of Ruth and Naomi in particular and Boaz, they're, we're given detail. They're, their lives are under a microscope. And the point of their lives being under a microscope is for us to see how God works in the details of our lives. And the more detailed the circumstances that we see, the more it is meant to make us aware of how God works, of how he works in our life. And so we see in chapter 2 the development and realization of a great reversal of circumstances. Things were devastating, and now things are about to be reversed and become very joyful. They're about to experience this great joy. And so we're going to read chapter 2 together like we read chapter 1 a couple weeks ago. And so let's turn to chapter 2, and I'll read this as we work through it together. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. 
Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and drip, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate un- until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for, for her, and leave it for her to glean. And do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epa of garley, barley. And she set it, took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you are assaulted. So she kept close to the young women in, of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, we don't have direct access to the mind of God to know his details, to know his plans and purposes. We don't know in our life. We don't know what he's going to do tomorrow. We don't know what circumstances are going to come or how things are going to take place. But we are shown something wonderful. We're shown his character. We are shown how God works. There are some people's handwriting that I recognize, that I can see from across the room. My sister, my wife, and my brother-in-law. I mean, these are three handwritings that if it was written on a card, anonymous, I would know exactly who, who they are, who wrote it. You might have people like this as well. You know people's handwriting. You know, for one, it's because it's familiar to me. I've, I've seen it over many years. I have learned it. I've, I've recognized it. I've come to, to know it, and it's and somewhat endearing to me. I, I associate this these handwriting, these, this style, with the people who are writing it. They might even be writing a phrase that, has, that I've never read before from them, but it doesn't matter because I know how they write. I know their style. And when you know God's style, when you know how he writes, his character, his nature, how he works, you're able to see him working in your life, even if he's doing something that you've never seen him do before. Naomi's reminded of this central quality of God's nature, of his character, that causes this dramatic reversal in her life, of, of being in a place of, 
of devastation to a place of hope, to a place of joy and blessing. This reversal of perspective of what is going on in life and does God even care for her. In chapter 1, if you remember, Naomi believes that God has left her. He says that the presence of God has gone out for me. His hand has been taken off of me. He has, he has departed me. Don't call me sweet. Call me bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me. And she believes that God has forgotten. And now she says, maybe God has not forgotten us. Maybe he has remembered us and he is showing his kindness to us. Maybe God is there after all. And in verse 20, we're given this word. We're shown this attribute that is so closely tied to God's nature. It's that, ver that word kindness. It's translated here. The, the Hebrew word is the word hesed. It means grace or kindness or love or loving kindness or mercy or loyalty. It's used in so many different ways. It's actually can be hard to translate at times in the Bible because it means so many things. But it's talking about this positive act of devotion that flows out of this covenantal relationship with God and his people, this bound relationship that he has with his people. It describes God's loyalty and faithfulness that goes beyond just obligation. It's God's not only the have-tos, but his want-tos. It goes beyond what he has to do. There's a children's book uh, that, that gives great definition of, of God's love. And it goes like this, and it's written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible, and she says this is what it means. It means God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That is God's hesed love. It is this character of God that's highlighted all throughout the Old Testament. It was the word that, word that described God's relationship that he had with his people. It was his deeply personal relationship so close that the illustration that we're given in so many places in the Bible is, is God's binding himself, like he's tying a rope around his people, and he's tying a rope to himself, and he's saying, I'm binding myself to you. I'm tying myself to you because of my hesed love. He says to Abraham, I will be your God, and you will be my people. This is the phrase that even that Ruth uttered in chapter 1. It is a promise so firm that God says, I obligate myself as the highest authority in all of creation. I swear by myself because there is no one higher to swear by that I will accomplish what I have promised no matter what it costs me. God's love is bigger than a strong intention. It's, it's more powerful and binding than a contract. It's more, it carries more weight than a pinky swear. I mean, this is God's faithful absolute, steadfast, unbreakable love. He's absolutely faithful no matter what it would cost him, even as we know now looking back, even if it would cost him his own son. And it is this trust in God's hesed love that shapes the characters in chapter 2, and it should shape us as well. And so as we work through these passages and look at this these characters, we should be thinking also of how God's love should shape how we respond to circumstances that we encounter. How does God's faithful, steadfast love shape who I am? We see that they rest on God's hesed love and his blessing in different ways. And we're going to look at, at three ways, that trusting in God's hesed love and what it produces. The first thing that we see is that trusting in God's hesed love produces a, a Godward perspective. The first verse of chapter 2 should make us ask ourselves, 
Why is this important? Why is this mentioned here? Look at that first verse again. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. It's such an odd way to start, and it should make us think, why is this important to the story? What is coming here? It's the narrator saying, keep your eyes open, pay attention. Something is going to happen. This character is going to be important. Here's a man with great power, provision, and position. You're going to see his life intersect with the life of Naomi and Ruth. He wants us to see what is coming. But from the perspective of Ruth, she's uh, thinking everything's a coincidence. She thinks she just got lucky to come upon this field. Remember what she says in in verse 3. It says, so she set out and gleaned among the fields, and she just so happened to come to the field of Boaz. Lo and behold, here comes Boaz. It means, and luck would have it. That's exactly what this translation could mean. As luck would have it, Ruth stumbles upon Boaz's field. I think the narrator, as, as, as this being read and the people are hearing this, following along with the story, that he might expect a little bit of a chuckle from people who are listening to it. Because they would be thinking, nothing just happens. Nothing just happens according to God's Hesed love, according to his faithful and loyal love. But from our perspective, isn't that what it feels like a lot of times in, in our life when things happen? We think, look at, look at what just happened. I mean, look at the coincidence. What are the odds? Or when good things happen, we, we, cons- we chalk it up to, to chance or to luck. Or we just feel like we're blessed or we feel just grateful because it, it happened to us. And our vantage point is always so limited. It's always a fantastic coincidence that things would happen. We see two honest vantage points, and I, I want to take a step back and for you guys to see that, the honest vantage point. Ruth's honest vantage point, and she's not wrong in feeling this way, is that it seems like something was just a coincidence. And that's honest. That's where we live. We, our perspective is so limited. But another honest vantage point is God's vantage point, from his vantage point, where he sees everything, and he holds everything in his hands, and he he orchestrates everything, and he allows everything to come to pass. The Bible says that he is sovereign. That's what the Bible, that's what that word means. And the narrator continually holds this carrot before us. He's saying, look at what God's going to do, and we're, we're meant to be led into this story even as humans who don't know what God is up to. Have you realized that and recalled times in your life where you've looked back on something that God has done and and there was a time where you felt that he was not there, but then after you've been removed from the circumstance, maybe even years down the road, you look back and you say, God was there the whole time. I just didn't know it. Well, here we have a present tense, her feeling like a coincidence coming upon this, but the narrator wants us to step back and see how God sees things, his perspective in how he sees our lives in the world. A few months ago, I went on a ride-along uh, with a police officer. It was awesome. It's like seeing the beach for the first time. And uh, it, was, it was great. I went on this ride-along, and, and it was a very active night. It was really fun. Uh, we got to take someone to jail. We arrested somebody. Well, mostly me. He just, no. I just watched, scared. But there's one thing we did. We went to a, a, a call at Walmart for a shoplifter. And we got to go into the back room uh, that I never knew was there. 
where all the monitors are, where all the cameras are, and you get to see on every monitor everything that's going on in the store at any given moment. You get to see from the vantage point of the security guard everything that's going on in that store. And it was a different kind of perspective for me. It was like, wow, we're being watched all the time. And quite a terrifying feeling. Like, I need to pay attention to what I'm doing next time I'm in there. Now consider being invited up to the throne room of God and seeing what he sees at any given moment, at any hour, at any point in your life. What would you see? How would you feel when you were, were there? Were you invited back into those back doors and saw all the world in all the perspective the way that God sees it? How would you think differently about your life? Would you think differently? How would you feel after you left? Well, you know what's neat is that there have been a few people that have had this opportunity. And Scripture tells us about these people where they are invited up to the throne room of God into his back room with all the monitors, and he says, look at how I see the, the world. One man's name was Isaiah, and he was given a glimpse of God and his perspective and he, as, as he sits on the throne and sees everything. And this is what Isaiah says. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, when we see things from God's perspective, our response would be, wow, I really get it wrong most of the time. And everyone around me does too. That's what Isaiah is saying. He says, I can't believe it. I thought I had things in order. I, think, I felt like I was doing things right. But now I see how unclean my, my mouth is, my lips are, my heart is. Now I see how I live in a, in a culture, in a world that is so, so broken because I've seen God and I've seen how he sees things. And then God sends him out to be his prophet, to preach of his goodness and of his provision and of his sovereignty. You see, the, the more we trust in God's hesed love, the more we will realize how often we doubt his faithfulness. That would be the, that's the, always the proper response when we are when we see things as God sees them, we will see how, how little we actually do and how little we actually trust in him. And so the point is seeing this in retrospect is to get to the place of trusting in his hesed love and trusting in his perspective and trying to seek out his perspective in everything we do. So we ask ourselves, how can I see things? How can I know who you are and, and grow closer to you so that I can see today how you see today. Trusting in God's Hesed love produces another thing. It's, it's a, a grace-motivated character, a grace-motivated effort and work. God's Hesed love is our motivation for effort. Living by faith and eventually faithfully waiting on God doesn't mean that we sit around waiting for God to do something, for it to fall into our lap, but we do what we can to trust in God that he will provide for our needs. A lack of trust in God, and I know what this is like, and I'm sure you've been there, a lack of trust in God can cause us to, to fall deeper and deeper into inactivity. It kind of this paralyzing effect, this crippling effect where 
it only breeds more inactivity and we sit around and we do nothing and it makes our situation worse, it doesn't make it better. God made a law in this time and it was called, it was the gleaning law and it was a law that people who owned a field and at harvest time when they went and harvested the crop, they could not exhaust the crop, meaning they couldn't take all of the crop, they couldn't do multiple passes and pick out all the crop, whether it be wheat or barley or, or something else. They had to leave some around the edges, around the margins of their field, so that those who are poor or marginalized uh, or those who are unable to work could, could walk along the fields and glean wheat or grain and they could eat it and they could survive. So if they were willing to work, they would eat and survive. And we see God's hesed love his faithful love being worked out in both Ruth and Boaz in probably the most central verses in the chapter, the exchange between Ruth and Boaz. Boaz notices something about Ruth, and he says, whose young woman is this? I think the ESV translation says, please be single, please be single, please be single. That's what, that's what that means. <laughs> whose young woman is this? He takes notice of her. He likes her. He, he notices something about her, that he's drawn to her. And he goes to his foreman and says, what's her story? Tells her everything. See, Ruth, was, Ruth has been touched, as we learned in chapter 1, by God's love, by God's hesed love. And she trusted in his love for her, and it overflowed into her life and overflowed from her life in confidence, in a quiet confidence. Not because she knew exactly what was going to happen. See, Ruth didn't know. Ruth is living in the present. She doesn't know what's going to happen, how God will provide. But she trusts in God. She has planned her steps. She has decided no matter what happens, she's sticking to God and she's going to trust in Him. And this created in her a quiet confidence. Not an arrogance, but a confidence that God was good and He was going to take care of her. She lived in, a, in an unpredictable world, but she knew that God with all things were not unpredictable to him. But he had predicted all things. All things were already predicted by God. And this leads her to express a characteristic in her life that is not found too often today. This quiet confidence in God. See, most, most of us would, be, would expect to be treated with kindness. And when we're not treated with kindness, we react with, with arrogance. How could they treat me like that? We do it at restaurants. We do it at grocery stores. We do it we do it in our own home even. We do it, we do it all around in different, in different arenas. We expect people to treat us with, with, with kindness, and when we're not met with it, we become angry. But Ruth expresses this sense of unworthiness and is amazed at the kindness that is shown to her because she knows she doesn't deserve it. This is this pure amazement of the presence of God and the presence of grace in someone's life. She says, why have I found favor with you? I mean, she is actually really pleading with Boaz, saying, could you please give me an answer? I am just dumbfounded. I have no idea why you would look to me, an outcast, an outsider. I'm not even one of your servants. I don't belong to you. I'm not part of your workers. Why would you even pay attention to me? And when we grasp God's grace the way that we should, when we really understand that we don't deserve his kindness, it produces in us a kind of presence that can only be described by the presence of God's life in us and his grace in our lives. Boaz notices this. He notices something different about her 
This is a woman worth noticing. This is a, wor- a woman worth noticing at, at, every, at, any, at any age, at any stage in life, whether you're young or older. This is a characteristic worth having. Ladies, this is the kind of breathtaking beauty. This quiet confidence and trust in God. The kind that rests in His covenant loyalty no matter what. It's breathtaking. And in Boaz, he also is a man who is changed by God's loyal love. He is touched by God's love, and it overflows in loving faithfulness to those around him. Think about the significance of him giving away food. Now, if you remember this story, we talked about they were in this famine in Bethlehem. People left. People were dying because there was no food. And now, all of a sudden, there's food again. What do you do if that happens? I mean, you start, you get all the food you can, and you store it up, right? But not Boaz. He is actually most generous at this time. When Ruth asked, why are you doing this? Boaz says, God is using me to reward you for trusting in him. When we rest in God's love, something strange happens to us. We actually end up obeying God's commands more rather than less. We are more excited to obey his commands, not less excited. We are more enthusiastic. We are more eager to do what is right and to pursue him rather than less eager But now we have a different reason. We do it not to earn his love, but it's because we see his love and his his commands as as the given to, not to constrain us, not to burden us, not to bother us, but to, to to bless us, to love us, to be a blessing to us. And Boaz saw this law that God said, do this, leave food in your field for those who don't have any. He saw it as an instrument to enjoy God. He saw God's commands as an instrument to enjoy him, to be loved by him, to be blessed by him, not to lose his blessings. How, often, how many times have you felt like God's laws or commands were tools to constrict you or to not let you have fun or to take something away from you that you wanted to keep? I have felt that way at times. I think, gosh, if I wasn't a Christian, I would actually be able to enjoy these things. But Boaz says, the law of God is what gives me that joy. The more we trust in God's Hesed love, the more attention and effort we will give to our spiritual growth, not less. We will actually have a reason now to pursue him, and it's not one to earn his love or to earn his favor or acceptance. We do it to find blessing and to enjoy him and to uh, live in his joy and his peace, to, to be close with him. We do it because we know that it is it is for our best. We, know, we do it because we know that there is no other way that we can find true satisfaction in our life than, than under his wings, as Ruth pursued. And lastly, we see that God's hesed love produces an abundant supply of all that we need, and way more. God is a caring, covenant-keeping God who rewards those who trust in him. God rewards those who trust in him. And this is different than saying, God loves those who obey him. It's different than that. One is a a works-based system or a wage-based system. Like if you work, then you get a payment. This is a promise-based. That is, we rest in him, acknowledging our own sin and find 
security and refuge under his wings, then we are protected, we are cared for. And under his wings we find uh, an abundance of overflowing love and blessing. God rewards those who look at his Hesed love in light of his faithfulness no matter what it costs. Look at this blessing that comes to Ruth. It's over the top. It's reckless. It's, it's abundant. Normally you would give, you would grab leftover grain. But Boaz tells his servants, don't only let her have the leftover grain, the stuff we didn't pick up, but, all, but even let her grab from the bundles that you have picked up and gathered all the good grain from the middle of the field and tied together. And if you leave on the ground, leave it on the ground for her to come and pick from. Boaz tells them this, and I can't tell you, I've never had, well, it rarely happens where my mouth waters when I read the Bible, but this passage, it, it happened. I mean, look at this meal that is provided. I mean, maybe it's not um, amazing to you, but bread dipped in wine, roasted grain, can you smell it? Can you taste it? Can you imagine the scene of the, the dim lights and the and this fresh roasted grain right from the field, and the fresh wine, and the bread that just came out of the, the fire. This is an amazing meal. And it says that she ate, and she was actually full and had a lot left over. And she went and worked in the field, and she gathered all of this wheat, and it said an, an ephah, and that's an ephah for you, that's about three-fifths of a, of a bushel. That doesn't mean anything to you, does it? <clears throat> it's about 30 pounds of barley. It's like carrying a, a, a bag of old Roy out of, out of uh, Walmart to your car. Okay? It, I mean, how exhausting is it to carry like a gallon of milk to your car? You need a cart for that. I need a cart. Imagine carrying this bag and from, from a field to a house. How long, how far away it was, uh, we don't know, but it was... I imagine it was of at least a significant amount of distance, enough to make you tired. And here is this lady carrying this huge bundle. The point of this is not how much, but the measurement is useful for us to understand that it was an, an astonishing amount for any one person to gather on any one day. Boaz was literally heaping blessing upon blessing on her. He was being reckless beyond her expectations to bless her and her family. When grain was rationed out to citizens, to your own people, one to two pounds a day. Here, a foreigner gets 30 pounds, enough food for half a month. We would be satisfied with much less, and, and Ruth would be satisfied with much less than she got. But that is how God works. We are satisfied. We'd be satisfied with just forgiveness of sins, but God gives us so much more. He gives us his relationship. He gives us his love. He gives us his faithfulness. He gives us his peace and joy. He gives us, he binds himself to us. He gives us his presence. He gives us way more than what we need. This story stretches beyond these characters of, of Ruth and Naomi, and it, and it, towards the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. We will be satisfied with forgiveness of sins, but God gives us his son forever. We trust God because we see how he works. We trust God because scripture sheds a light on his movement within our life. We trust him 
because we learned about the kind of love that he has. We trust him because of his hesed love, because of his never-breaking, faithful love. And when we grasp this love, the response is universal. Our perspective will be exactly like Naomi's when she said, I was wrong to think that God wasn't here. He has been here the whole time, loving me, leading me, not forgetting me, guiding me, providing for me, plotting his circumstances so that I might know him and his love. He has been scheming all along. How foolish have I been to think anything else? When we really understand God's love and see him in his throne room, that's the universal response. What a fool I have been. How little I have trusted. The more we trust in God's hesed love, the more we will enjoy the overflow of his grace in our circumstance. The way that we enjoy the overflow of his grace in our life is not by doing more, but by trusting more in his love. That he is plotting, that he is working, that he is guiding and leading. The ways God provides for us are like Hebrew words. Uh, Pastor Sinclair Ferguson says in his book, Faithful God, he says the way that God works are like Hebrew words. They are truly appreciated when they're read backwards. For those of you who don't know, the Hebrew language is, is read from right to left rather than English from left to right. So they are read backwards for us. And this is, it's in retrospect. The way that we, the way that God provides it for us where we understand his provision is in retrospect. We look back and see him working. Behind every scene and every circumstance, God is plotting for our joy and his glory. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 in the New Testament. We see how God is working. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. This verse has the whole book of Ruth in there. To have this Godward perspective, to see that he is plotting for our joy, to see that we are saved by grace, but this grace that we understand motivates us to actually work, to love his commands, to pursue his commands, and that he heaps upon us as we take refuge in his love, grace upon grace, blessing far beyond what we would need. To some extraordinary degree, we can live our lives intimately aware of what God is doing whenever we look at Jesus. When we know Christ, when we know his character and what he has done for us, we are brought into that throne room of God where we see what God is like, how he acts, how he loves, how he holds the future, how not a single molecule in our universe is out out of his sovereign command. 
And we know not only the human point of view of our present circumstance, and not only God's point of view, we see the ultimate trajectory of God's faithfulness when we look at Christ. That all things are culminating in Him. Paul tells us that the answer to all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. How do I know that God cares? Look at Jesus. How do I know that He is faithful? Look at Jesus. How do I know things are going to be okay? Look at Jesus. How do I know that, that following Him is better joy than not following Him? Look at Jesus. We find the answer to all of God's promises in Him. And it's like saying, as luck would have it, when we were dead in our trespasses, when we had no hope, God sent His Son to die for us. This is no coincidence. He gave His Son in keeping with His promise because He ob obligated Himself in His covenant promise to do everything He said He was going to do, to love us, to reach us, to save us. Do you remember when we said that God is obligated to keep His promises no matter what it costs Him? Even His own Son. He did that. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us, how, he'll, how will He not be able to graciously give us everything we ask? This is good news. This is the good news of Ruth. This is what the book of Ruth is all about. It is about the gospel for us. And all of us are in this position to say like Ruth, why would you show me favor? Why would you love me? Why would you give attention to me and bless me? And here is the reply that we hear from God. So that my never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love could be poured out in your life. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.